Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. We just finished watching Stage 8 in this year's Tour de France. Back-to-back exciting days. After one final stage win yesterday, we had some GC action today. If you want to support the podcast, all we ask is give us a review or a rating on your podcast player. If your podcast player doesn't allow it, just forward the link to a friend and say, hey, you might like these two guys talking about cycling. And it won't just be the Tour de France. We're doing every pro race from like 2.1 pro above and all the World Tour races and women's World Tour races. But anyway, on to today's stage in Stage 8. The GC positions before the stage were Yates in yellow for Michelin Scott. Roglic second, Guillaume Martin third, Egan Bernal fourth, and Nara Quintana fifth, I think. But all the other GC contenders were largely on the same time as Egan Bernal. The stage profile is the first proper mountain stage. They had a Category 1 climb after about 60 kilometres, 7Ks at 8% the Col de Monte. Then the Porte de Ballet, 12.2 kilometres long at 7.6% HC climb. And then after that, the Col de Pedersud with bonus seconds on top of it, 9.7Ks at 7.5% Category 1, and then a descent into Ludenville uh, with a sort of rolly run-in in the last four kilometres. So another one of those stages where there's a mountaintop finish. Well, there's not a mountaintop finish, rather. It's the opposite of that. they got the mountaintop, and then they have to descend into the finish, which I don't really think helps attacks. But anyway, I'll hand over to Benji now to describe what happened when Christian Prudhomme struggled to drop his neutral service flag or whatever it is. So it started off with a bang, a plethora of riders wanting to go into the breakaway. We've had a large breakaway form, a relatively large breakaway form, including the following riders. Benoit Cosnefort, the KOM jersey, and Nance Pedas for Ajazella Mondial. We've got Mikkel Marku for the Koenig, Nelson Paulus once again for Evadication First, and Carlos Verona for Movistar, Tom Skuns, I think that's how to pronounce it, but I guess we'll find out eventually. If some Latvian person watches this or listens to us, we had Zakar and CCC, Hermans for Israel's startup nation. We had Cousin and Grelier for Direct Energy Total. We have Cro Anderson for Sunweb and Pacher and Reza for BNB Vital Concept. Now, Peter Sagan also showed a bit of interest to go into the breakaway, but never really made that punch to the group, so never made it into the breakaway. Mitchelton pretty much gave the green light to the breakaway because they were the riders that were riding at the front of Peloton, and the gap easily grew to over 13 minutes. And we went to the intermediate sprint then, and basically because so many riders are in the breakaway, there's not many points left for the Peloton. In the breakaway, no one really fought for it too much, but in the Peloton, we had a proper sprint, and Bennett actually took the points. I think Sagan didn't even get a single point there, so that's a bit sad for that lad, because these are the kind of stage where I expect Sagan to take more points than a Bennett, but that is clearly not the case here. I was kind of disappointed to see him not being in the breakaway. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I thought he'd get in the break for sure. I think I thought Bennett would struggle to get in the break, and that's the the only way he's going to win this, win the green jersey. I think he's like not even close to the level of Bennett in the sprints. 
And he's actually getting beaten by Brian Cockard and co in, in a lot of the sprints, you know, riders that have never even won a world tour stage. So, yeah, I, I thought he was going to get in the break for sure. Now, it was a hard day for Bora yesterday, a hard day for Sagan as well. He, I think there's an intermediate sprint tomorrow after a Category 1, so maybe he's saving the legs to get the full 20 points there tomorrow uh, where maybe it's certain that Bennett won't be able to follow. So I'm not going to go in on Sagan completely, but yeah, I think we said in the pod yesterday, wouldn't be surprised to see Sagan get into a break to go for those uh, sprint points. On the call the Monte after that, we had sprinters being troubled in the peloton as the first ride is actually getting into trouble. And one of those was Nizolo. He actually stepped into the team car and abandoned the race. He was obviously potentially still injured from the crash he had and also had some stomach problems if we heard from his DS a few days back. But in the breakaway, only one rider showed clear interest for the points on top of the Col de Monte. That was Benoit Cosnefois. He tagged just before the crest and took the 10 points. We had a little bit of a sprint behind that, but nothing major. In the descent, not much happened. The breakaway regrouped to take on the valley, and Jérôme Cousin went on a little walk and took a minute on the other escapees in that descent. We did see Zakarin displays incredibly weak descending game, having to crawl back to the group after descent. Like, you're one of the first people also to say he has such a weakness in descending. Like, why do you not train on that? I think that potentially it's a real fear for him and that it's very hard to get over it. But what's your opinion on that? Well, I was thinking that, you know, oh, well, this is a guy that had a really bad crash, I think, in the Giro a few years ago. I don't know whether he was a good descender before that either. So I can't compare pre-crash and post-crash Zacharin descending ability, but he's he's terrible. Like it's not just that he it's not just like, oh well, if Roglic or Alaphilippe are going absolutely ham on the Poggio or something, or uh in the case of Alaphilippe or Roglic on a descent in the Tour de France, he can't follow them in a technical descent. It's not that. Like Zacharin gets dropped on every descent uh, after like an HC or category one climb if there's any form of like cornering in it. Well, not even cornering. So psychologically, I'd say it'd, it'd be that if it was him descending in the drops and he just backed off a little bit too much in the corners. I'd get that. I think Richie Port had that as well when they were chasing Roglic at the end. But yeah, he descends on the hoods and he just picks like terrible, terrible lines. So it seems to me that it's just poor technique and maybe he doesn't train it a lot because, yeah, he was the strongest climber in this breakaway and I tweeted it. I said, if you want to win this stage, if you're in a break, it's very simple, attack. Uh, well, not even attack, just descend at a normal pace and put Zacharin under pressure. But, yeah, what do you think, Benji, psychological or not? I, I believe it's a combination of both, like you say, in the sense that, yeah, the fear certainly plays for him, but... He certainly doesn't have the technique that many of the other decent descenders have. So I believe it's a combination of both. But one rider that is not necessarily a bad descender, but did hit the deck in the descent was Romain Bardet. He only seemed to have limited injuries with some blood on his elbow, so not too big of a deal. And then we basically were in the valley towards the Porta Bales. Jumbo Visma took the front in the peloton, and Tony Martin was faking a TT position towards the bottom of the climb. And with the breakaway on the Portobales then, so many attacks followed in the breakaway. Plenty of attacks and they just kept on attacking. But two riders came out to be the strongest in the end. That's Nospites of Ajuzet and Ilnur Zakarin. Yeah, one of the worst descenders in my eyes. But 
what happened from that point onwards because we had Wout Fanat hit the front in the peloton and he did some serious damage. Yeah, so it was Martin in the in the valley and just at the base of the climb. Then Hessink uh, sort of drove it for a while for Jumbo Visma, and then it was Wout Fanat. So before Coos, I didn't really see Bennett either. So it was yeah, Coos and Bennett not driving it at all for Jumbo Visma on the Porto Balles, and then Wout Van Aert took the front and just started to shred. The man who won the stage yesterday, I haven't got the VAM numbers yet for that first climb, the HC climb, Porto Balles, but he, he was driving it pretty hard. It dropped a few riders, but none of the GC guys really got dropped. It was more, I don't know, like putting Igita under pressure, who was not look great anyway. Um, it, wa- it wasn't it was strong, but it wasn't dropping the GC guys. But the big moment was as Wout Van Aert started pulling, which was pretty early on in the climb, Thibaut Pinot was somehow two minutes behind. The cameras panned back. Thibaut Pinot is surrounded by the whole FDJ team and riding at like, I don't know, four watts per kilo. And I was like, oh, my God. And I saw it in the live chat first. And I was thinking, because – I didn't know he was injured, Benji. That's the thing. You know, like people tell me in the chat, oh, well, he's got a back injury. And I thought, well, he rode really well in the crosswinds yesterday. We all saw him pulling a turn in the crosswinds yesterday. I don't understand how that can happen. And then we come to today and he can't even sit in the wheels and he got dropped off the wheels by, by Wafanat. So, yeah, sad for Pino, another abandon. Well, actually, we don't know whether he's abandoned or not. I assume he's going to abandon because there'd be no point in him continuing. He's lost like over 20 minutes on GC at least. I don't even know if he's crossed the line yet because we're recording straight after the finish. But whether he abandons or not, practically speaking, he's completely out of GC contention, so it's just as good as a DNF. That's four out of seven Tour de France's where he's – yeah, pretty much not being competitive because of either an injury or a crash or something. Maybe not his fault because of stage one. Maybe it was actually a more serious crash than we first thought. But, yeah, shame for Pino. I wanted him to do well, but it's just not going to happen. What was your reaction to Pino going out, Benji? Was it like, oh, here we go again? <laughs> yeah, it was. it actually was exactly that because while I do enjoy his riding a lot, it's often... So similar how he collapses in stages and it's not the first time. And yeah, I just had the here we go again meme happen again. But I'd like to drop in a question from Twitter of one of our listeners, Tom Johnson, that asked, do you think FDG should have sent the whole team back? Because uh, British TV apparently called them out as lemmings. I don't know what lemmings mean, but maybe you do. Lemmings are little like rodent-like creatures, kind of like... um... I don't know, raccoons or marmots. Um, yeah, they're like, a, if they're in Australia, they'd be a marsupial. And when one of them jumps off a cliff, the rest of them follow. So it's saying, <laughs> it's, basically, it's basically calling them sheeple. And yeah, I don't know, dropping the rest of the FDJ team back. They weren't going to win. There was no stage win on offer either. And none of those guys are close on GC. So I guess what's the harm in dropping them back? My bigger issue, and sorry, that question on Twitter was asked with the hashtag LRCP hashtag. My bigger issue is why isn't he getting in the team car straight away? Like, what's what's the point? Is he did he feel embarrassed about getting in the team car last year in stage nineteen? Like, why why did he not get in the team car, Benji? It might actually be that because he is one of those oversensitive riders. I don't mean that as a negative thing, but 
it is kind of a negative thing in that sense because he he seems to do stuff according to how people responded to it last time and i think that's the case here and maybe it's not a good idea indeed but what will he get out of getting out of the tour de france now he obviously will not be riding with an injury anymore because i'm guessing that is that injury the back injury he's been talking about recently but outside of that i don't know maybe he can try and go for a stage win or anything because that might still save his tour de france a tiny bit but after the Tour de France, what's there for him? We've got Dema going to the Giro, pretty much taking his whole train with him. So he'd have to go to the Vuelta. I'm not sure. Okay, well, no, I'm going to disagree with you on that. Like, how how can there be a stage win? And, you know, this podcast is going to run over, guys. Sorry, there's a lot to get into. But how can, how can there be a stage win? I was talking about this on stream. How can you have... So he made it very clear. He made sure the cameras caught it. He did like a pantomime backstretch as he crossed the uh, the crest of the Porte de Ballet, making sure we all knew that he had a sore back, right? He was touching his, his lower back. Okay, we get it, Thibaut. But how can he have a bad back, which causes him to get dropped straight away on the Porte de Ballet, but then he can go for stage wins? Like, if he doesn't DNF, or, sorry, doesn't abandon, then that suggests to me that he just had an off day. Like, Emmanuel Buchmann... Had a bad has had a bad crash too, and like yeah, he's not like at that top top form, but he was still able to hang for the majority of the stage and grind it out. So, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I'm not his doctor, but if it was an isolated occurrence and this was uh, Roglic or Bernal, I would not be criticizing them at all. But the reality is, his Grand Tour record, Pino, is horrific, and he can barely finish a Grand Tour. So. It's not crashes in all of them. Typically, it seems to be a problem with, I don't know, there's some sort of problem because he's a world-class rider and he can't finish a Grand Tour. But anyway, that, that's enough about Thibaut Pino because you guys listening are probably just as sick as I was in that the reason we, I wanted him to get in the team car was because French TV then focused on Pino's face for almost exclusively for the rest of the Porte de Ballet climb, which was incredibly frustrating because... Wout van Aert was still shredding on the front. Benji, were there any other major riders that Wout van Aert dropped, apart from, I guess, his own teammate Dumoulin kind of had to yield the wheel? I'm not necessarily sure there were. I don't think the big guns uh, we did see. Was Kuz already dropping at that point? Or did he drop a bit later? Kuz dropped earlier than that, I think. Kuz, I don't know. Kuz dropped early because I think he worked really hard yesterday. He didn't pull a turn at all. A little bit surprising, but then again, if you're doing such hard work on the flats yesterday, which they might not have predicted, you know, it's hard to read into that for his GC ambitions in the future. Some people were saying, oh, well, you can't have off days when you're riding for GC and get completely dropped. But then the other hand is maybe the team car said to him, hey, have a rest today, pull off and save your legs for, you know, we've got a hard day tomorrow as well. So hard to know, but yeah, that it didn't. It definitely didn't help Roglic later on that Kuz had been dropped. Yeah, then it sure. was nowhere there as well. But he somehow made his way back, and as I said, Dumoulin was sliding down, and because he was in good position, he got dropped off the Wapenarts wheel just before the crest, and he was actually able to stay with the major group. Same with Sergio Aguita, was able to stay there as well. Now onto the descent, still Wapenart absolutely pinning it with Roglic on his wheel. Adam Yates third wheel. Benji, what was happening in the breakaway? I was focused mainly on GC because I'm just always obsessed with GC. 
What was going on in the breakaway then on the base of the Col de Pedersud? Well, somewhat as expected, we had at the top of the, well, at the top of the Porta Bales, basically, we saw Nas Patel just distance Dakarin in the descent. And we talked about it earlier, his descending skills are terrible. And Nas Patel has some decent downhill skills. I didn't see too much of it because they were focusing a lot on Pino. But I certainly believe that he took 40, 45 minutes in that descent towards the bottom of the quarterfinals. Yeah, that's crazy. And when they hit the bottom of the pedal suit, then slowly but surely Zakarin came back. But did he come back? Uh, not exactly. Towards the top of the cold pedal suit, he was on about 12 seconds. But what happened in the peloton? Well, on that Zakarin point, we all saw when he was getting one of his, his second to last bid on, he dropped the gel. And did that play? Did that cost Ilnor Zakarin the stage win? Because as you said, he was catching up to Nans Pitez. He was, it was like four Ks left in the Col de Pedersud climb and he was gaining. He'd started 45 seconds back. He was looking really, really good. He actually got a gel and a bit on at the base of the climb. And then we'll finish with what happened in the breakaway, Benji, just to keep it, keep it all in one train. He then just slowed down and cracked completely on the Pedersud. And that gap, I, we, we stopped getting time gaps, but it seemed to me like he then lost 20 seconds and gave that back to Nance Patez over the top, at least. Patez just rode a really you know, steady pace. He knew, obviously, the peloton, they were like 10 minutes behind at the base of the climb and only got to within seven or six and a half minutes. And, yeah, Zacharin, if I spoke Russian, I'd ask to interview him if he wasn't annoyed and say, was it that lack of gel that you dropped? Did that cost you the stage win because you didn't have the legs on the final climb? Because it was a bit too late for that last gel to really kick in then um and yeah Nance Pitez crested the top of the climb about 40 seconds I think ahead of Zacharin onto the descent Zacharin was not going to catch him back and I think Skurns and Carlos Verona the Movistar rider they were a further maybe 30 seconds behind Ilnor Zacharin if not a bit more and all Nance Pitez had to do was pretty much stay upright on the descent and into the stage win so, did Zacharin actually get caught, Benji, on the descent by Skerns and Verona? Yeah, he got caught and got even left behind by the two, and uh, they even took like a good 15 to 20 seconds on him by the moment they, they crossed the line. So, Nars Patels going to win his second Grand Tour stage in a matter of two years. So, very bright future. He's a young rider, if I recall correctly. He is 26, not 26. the youngest, but he can certainly still do stuff in his career. And maybe try and find a Velta one now to complete the triple. Honestly, great stuff. Skuns finished second. We had Verona come in third. Skuns tried to sprint for it for a bit, but Verona didn't have that and basically came in third. So Karin crossed the line in fourth. Yeah, so we've done it in a bit of a strange order because that's the, the way I've liked to think about it logically is breakaway and stage win. So Nons Patel's won. He's yeah, 26, really exciting rider. You know, now he's got, he came third in Grand Piemonte last year as well, which is a pretty good result. But then back to the GC. So on the descent of the Porto Ballet, on the way to the Col de Perisur, it was Wav van Aert pulling, I think at the base of the descent, or as they were getting close to the start of the Col de Perisur climb, Wav van Aert pulled off. He was completely done. But he'd actually waited for George Bennett to catch back up. So I'm not sure he was, I don't think he was driving it really, really hard on the descent, but he certainly had Roglic in second wheel and Yates in third wheel. So they're in good position. Adam Yates, pretty handy descender. And yeah, Wampana pulled off. 
And then it was George Bennett pulling on the front, Tom Dumoulin second wheel and Roglic third wheel. And firstly, I wasn't really expecting Roglic to be launched over the top of uh, the Porto Ballet, mainly because the stage had been so easy up to that point. You've got to remember the peloton had given the breakaway like up to 14 minutes before the first Category 1 climb of the day. So the peloton had largely gone pretty easy. I'm pretty sure the time on the first Category 1 was easy as well. So they were going into that climb pretty fresh. That's why we saw, even though Wild Fun Art was pulling hard, it didn't really drop or put into any difficulty the main GC contenders. It was still a pretty large group. Then on the descent, that allowed George Bennett to catch up. And then the cold Pedersud, now I've seen on Twitter, etc. apparently it was actually a nuclear pace on the Pedersud. I'm not sure if it actually was the climbing record. It hasn't been verified yet. We'll leave that in YouTube as a pinned comment or maybe adjust the show notes later. But Bennett driving it, then it was Tom Dumoulin took over and Dumoulin went till he was empty. He really drove it pretty hard. But the thing I want to say is, this is not what Ineos would have done, Benji. When I think about with, say, Bradley, think about what Ineos would have done, say they had Bradley Wiggins or Chris Froome and they knew they had a time trial coming up. I know it's a long way away, but still, he's got that in his back pocket where he thinks oh, he's going to be putting time into Bernal. I just can't imagine that Ineos or Sky as they were then would have pulled to the point where their last domestique pulled off left their leader isolated but not attacking, that's what doesn't make sense to me, right? Why do, did Jumbo Visma drive the pace so hard on the Petersud? It didn't drop uh, any of the main GC contenders. It did put them into difficulty. Like, it was a really select group at that point. But Lander, Port, Bernal, Yates, Roglic, Pogaccia, Quintana, Uran, they were all still there. So like it's a large group, but that's still the select group of GC favourites. Didn't drop any of them. I'm not sure they were fully on the limit either, all of them. And yet it wasn't the plan for Roglic to attack. So what was the point of driving it really hard and then leaving him isolated? Do you have, a, like, do you have an answer? Because I'm, I'm trying to think of one while you speak. I don't really have an answer, but I do want to add that up to that point, no one knew that Dumoulin would be actually working for Roglic on the Pelsude. So up to that point, they still had two leaders. So they basically had their whole team domestic like crazy and ended up with two leaders, one of which already showed extreme weakness at the top of the Porta Bales, and Bennett, who basically had to come back. So at that point, they were pretty much only Roglic already. So... You can't say they had too much left at that point. And we pretty much saw that in the fact that they had to switch to Dumoulin being a domestique at that point, which I did not see coming at all. Oh, I thought that would happen because he hasn't actually looked that good when it has been pretty hard uphill. And given that he lost the wheel of Wapanard on that on the uh, Porte Ballet, I thought, nah, he's not really a genuine GC contender. His odds drifted way out. He was third favourite when the tour started. He certainly wasn't at the start of this stage, and he certainly isn't now. Um, I was surprised at the strength of his pull. It wasn't very long, but it was quite sharp. But that, that's what confuses me because I mean, maybe the attacks were inevitable, but, yeah, I would have expected 
Jumbo Visma to kind of do what Ineos did the other day. If the plan wasn't for Roglic, because you got to remember the Port the Petersud is a seven kilometer, eight kilometer long climb, and Dumoulin finished his turn with like four and a half kilometers left in the climb, a long time at at least four and a half kilometers, and Roglic didn't attack. So, yeah, I don't really understand why they weren't just riding tempo. Anyway, he Dumoulin pulled off and immediately. It was Tade Pagacha attacking. We knew this was coming. We said, I think, on the pod yesterday, I hope if there's one good thing that comes out of him losing time, it's he's going to be really aggressive on the next stage. Pagacha attacked his Slovenian uh, compatriot. Roglic closed the gap to him pretty easily in the saddle, gapping Bernal, Uran, etc. And it was Nairo Quintana who bridged across to them so easily. Were you surprised, Benji, that... Uran or Bernal or Martin couldn't follow that initial move from Roglic, Pogaccia and Quintana. And what was your first like, what was your first impression when they went? Did you think, oh, here we go, these three are gonna actually light it up and, and ride away from these guys? Well, I I believe that Uran could have followed the pace, but the moment that they attacked, I saw Martin swing to the right of the road and basically block Uran in. And at that point he lost all his momentum and had to go the whole way around and decided to oh, attack. I think that was again. a bit later. Was that, later? I think that was a bit later. Okay. Yeah, that was mind. the second time. <laughs> <laughs> no, first attack, first attack, Uran was, I mean, I agree though, Uran was always out of position, right? Had great legs today. Yeah, was just at the back of the group. And I think they just lent on Bernal, Bernal. But yeah, did you, with Quintana, do you think he was faking it and had good legs or he like didn't have good legs and couldn't help them? Ah, he's probably typical Quintana style, just wheel sucking a bit and then trying to do something but also additionally i don't think quintana is at the shape where he could really well i think he knew that if he attacked there it wouldn't go well so he probably sat there and was thinking the long game and hoping that he saw a weakness in the other two and then try and attack it but there sure as hell wasn't a weakness in pogachar as you will explain in a second yeah i mean you've been kind of uh pretty diplomatic there about quintana i want to go in a little bit more you know i like quintana we all like the meme of Nairaman, but really, really disappointing uh, what he did today. I'm assuming he had good legs because he closed the gap to Roglic and Pagacha very, very quickly, and he didn't work with them. And this is what Quintana's done a lot throughout his career. So given that he attacked later, he's sitting on Pagacha and Roglic, and when he doesn't get on the podium on GC later in this tour and loses time in the time trial, he's got no one else but himself to blame. Roglic and Pogaccia were immediately trying to work well together when they got that gap. And they had a genuine gap to Bernal, who was left. No one was helping Bernal. They were all looking at him to bring it back, just like in Dauphiné and just like in Tudelan, I think. And Pogaccia pulled a turn. Roglic pulled a turn. They flick Quintana through. He sits on the wheel for a little bit. They flick him again. Oh, he rolls through, but then pulls like barely pulls over the top of them and slows it down. He was a complete anchor with them and it made I like what did he expect? Did he expect Roglic and Pagacha just to to pull him to the line? Yeah, like true. why would they it, it I don't understand why he did that because Pagacha's ninety seconds behind, so Roglic isn't is fine with working with him because he's still gonna if they go to the line together he'll be ninety seconds ahead of everybody of Pagacha and Pagacha will have gained time on them. Quintana, the log, same sort of logic applies. He'll be gaining time on maybe podium rivals He'll be moving up and he maintains 
you know, maybe he could have attacked Pogacar and Roglic at the end, but he yeah maintains the status quo as re- with regard to them and puts time into Bernal. But instead, he's an anchor and they get brought back. Adam Yates got dropped pretty quickly, actually. I'm not even sure if Adam Yates could hold the wheel of the Bernal group when that happened. And then Pogacar, not to be denied. I mean, here he's just an unbelievable rider, Tate Pogacar. And, you know, credit has to go to you, Benji, because in the preview you said you thought he was going to win the Tour de France, I think. Am I misquoting you there? Nope. I um, have him as first, but I didn't expect it after yesterday. But I'm happy that he's made a bit of a comeback today. Yeah, he just he attacked at least two times, maybe three times, and eventually the elastic snapped because Bernal was like, I'm not I'm not chasing this back anymore. And Carapaz was in that group, and Carapaz isn't like uh climbing that well at the moment. And he sort of yeah, he, he was pulling and Bernal put him on the front. Roglic had no teammates. Roglic was happy to let Pagacha go up the road at that point, which is interesting, right? Like What's the logic in him closing down the initial Pagacha attack and then letting the other ones go? Was it because it was later on and he was like, okay, I don't want to spend too much of my bickies, my biscuits, sorry, for non-Australians uh, chasing back Pagacha? I don't know. Do you Thinking about strategy, Benji, and Giro last year, are you concerned by what Roglic did? Do you think he played it really well? I think it worked out for him in the end. But, yeah, what do you, what do you think? Like, what do you think Christian Nerman, the DS, was telling Roglic in the car? I'm not sure what he was telling him, but I have always felt that Roglic, when he drops, you don't really see it in his face, or when he's in trouble, you don't really see it. I only see sometimes that he's stressed, but it's been like two years ago since I saw that weakness in his face. But outside of that, you never really see if he's in trouble. And I genuinely feel that because he was isolated, he either didn't dare to go for it and fully go after Pogacar, but you would say, yeah, that's a bit of, uh, wouldn't be a good tactic to not follow Pogacar there in my honest opinion. And I generally feel like if he could, he would have. So I believe we saw a weakness of Roglic today, but that's yet to be properly confirmed, of course. I think... Yeah, when, when he pulled with with Pogaccio, when he did close the gap to him in the first attack, he looked, yeah, he wasn't pulling that strong because Bernal was actually able to close them down reasonably quickly, even when Roglic and Pogaccio were pulling. I don't think it's, I, yeah, I'm not going to criticise Roglic too much. Like, let's be honest about what happened. He, Pogaccio had lost 90 seconds to him. It's stage eight of the tour. We had a long way to go. He was isolated. The reality was Pagacha was at best, at the very best for Pagacha, was going to make up a minute and a half and then be equal with them on GC again. I'm not sure Roglic wants to be wearing the yellow jersey for the, the first two weeks. I think they've said that. I don't really agree with that line of thinking, but um, that's what they've said anyway. So at the end of the day, he was seeing who else was going to chase and he didn't need to close down Pagacha. Like, he didn't need to. So he saved the legs or he didn't wasn't able to. And, you know, other riders had to try and close it down. Guillaume Martin attacked. He had a pretty strong strong attack, but I think he got brought back as well. Uh, who else attacked? Quintana attacked again, and that was followed by Roglic. So I actually think Roglic and Jumbo Visma think of Quintana as a genuine threat in this year's Tour de France. Um, but I, I'm always expecting that really bad day from Quintana. Eventually, and it was that's the moment actually that you were talking about Benji when 
when Quintana attacked, Guillaume Martin closed the door on Rigoberto Uran. And Uran, he had good legs, but yeah, kind of out of position. And that Quintana attack, it was late on the Pedersud. I think at the top of the Pedersud, Tade Pegaccia had 45 seconds on those guys. And I want to hear this theory, Benji. I want to hear your theory. Quintana and Roglic going clear. Why is Roglic actually not that good a descender as we think? Well, I believe because he's never actually properly confirmed it. And I'm going to tell you why. The main thing, the main stage that everybody thinks about when they think about Roglic downhill is stage 20 of the Tour de France of 2018. I think that was 18. And during that descent, everybody in the group was complaining that Roglic got away because he was in the wheel drafting of a motorbike. Now, it's obviously, yeah, as a competitor, you would tend to say that Dumoulin said so. Dumoulin says such stuff quite a bit. So when Dumoulin says something like that, you have to kind of think about it. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not really true. And I'm starting to think that might actually be more and more true the more that I see Roglic descend because he had one proper descend again, I think in a... Catalonia or Pevasco last year. And that attack was basically not really an all-out descent attack. It was not technicalities in the descent. It was just he attacked at the right moment and the rest didn't properly respond. And I believe that despite his history in going fast down a hill, that he might not be as good as a descender as everybody claims he is. But yeah, that's, this is still, still a theory. This is unconfirmed, let me tell you that. But I believe that because, <laughs> once again today, he basically didn't really gain anything in that descent. They did come closer to Bogachar during the descent, but not too much. And in the end, I yeah, that's my opinion. I, I think that Roglic is not as good at descending as everybody thinks he has. Changed my mind. Well, it's hard to confirm or deny it because... Uh, big non-shout-out to the whoever is the person in charge of TV production at ASO. I want you to go to the closest bathroom, <laughs> hopefully in your, little, in your little mobile home. I hope it's really hot and uncomfortable in there. I want you to turn on the tap, and I hope that water's not very clean. And just splash your face and look in the mirror because I've just sat through a lot of stages that have been pretty boring in this year's Tour de France. There's not been too much GC action. And when we've got proper GC action happening, they're showing Ilmo Zakarin coming fifth in the stage, showing him for a full 30 seconds crossing the line and then just showing the finish line with no one there. Or they're showing Thibaut Pino's face. Like, it's really frustrating that, like, we all know the, uh, the viewer you don't have to be a genius to realize that Roglic on the descent with Quintana on his wheel, chasing Pogaccia and other people further up the road. Like we might want to be seeing that. And this sort of stuff is like what we're all waiting for in the Tour de France. Like we're waiting for these moments and like it's, it's unfair on the viewers to not broadcast them live. Anyway, that's me whinging a lot, but yeah, the point is they didn't really show. So like all we saw was Roglic in super tuck, Quintana got in super tuck, they cut away to other rubbish for like three minutes or something. They cut back and then Roglic and Quintana have been caught by Yates, Guillaume Martin, Landerport, etc. So they got caught. That's probably one nil for Benji's theory about Roglic. He's definitely a, like a good descender, but yeah, I think what you're saying is he's not this myth, mythical level descender. 
um, if I'm not misquoting you. But yeah, they caught back up, and then Pagacci was motoring to the line. Cut to the chase. He gained 45 seconds or 40 seconds to the other riders. He was looking pretty good, Pagacha, but yeah, 40 seconds. I don't know. That's moved his odds from 30 to 1 before the stage and to now 5 to 1 clear second favourite over Egan Bernal. Do you think that's an overreaction, Benji? I do not. And I believe okay. that he's shown today that he might be the best climber at this very moment in the Tour de France. Obviously, we're basing it off one stage, but I want to give you a mathematical calculation of how good he was today, and you will be happy with these numbers. Tadej Pogacar set a historic new record on the Col de Pérezurde, 24 minutes, 35 seconds. He improved Finokurov in Miles' time by 45 seconds no, at no 6.8 watts per kilogram. That is given to us by Mihai Simeon on Twitter, who's always pretty on point with these kind of stuff. So, yeah, 6.8 watts per kilogram. Your turn. What method? Ferrari method? I don't know. I generally don't know. That's not in there. He's saying, I'm sorry, I'm fact-checking you, Benji, because I'm flawed. Mihai says, I always use the same start point, the crossroad, full stop. It's not a mistake. Holy shit. Well, that's wild. I'm kind of speechless, not going to lie. Like, we mentioned it yesterday on the pod, how, like, jokingly, right? I was like, ha-ha, Alexander Vinokurov's Perisud record, which is, like, fully fueled by OJ. Um, that's the record time. And Pagacha beat it by 45 seconds. Now, we don't know the wind conditions, etc., but that's buck wild. <laughs> you can probably hear how shocked I am. And, okay, well, I've answered my own question then. The numbers answer. I said, is it an overreaction? Well, if you're beating Alexander Vinokurov's Col de Pérezud record by 45 seconds, then, yeah, you're pretty legit. And that's with, like, three separate attacks. Unbelievable from uh, Tari Pagacha. Just, yeah, crazy. So I agree with you then. He should probably be second favourite. I'm not sure Bernal could have done, yeah, performed at that level either. And, and Pagacha still, it wasn't a genuine mountaintop finish either. He had to pedal on the descent and carry it through to the line. So... Wow, crazy. The the level guys in this year's Tour de France is very, very, very high. Like, I'm sure there'd be years in the Tour de France where Guillaume Martin would actually be like a clear podium favourite because he, even he, you know, all these guys at the pointy end are just absolutely flying. Wow. So Bernal, Benji, let's talk about the Ineos leader. What What's there to take away from this stage for Bernal? He's still 40 seconds or so ahead of Pogaccia. Um is it a terrible day for Bernal, or what were the learnings or concerns for Ineos? I don't necessarily think it was a terrible day for Bernal. I think it's a not necessarily a good day, but a better day than all the trash they've been shown. Well, that has been shown at them recently, and that is because I think today, like I mentioned, Roglic showed a tiny bit of a weakness in not being able to or not doing it, responding to Pogacar. Because even if it's a conscious decision, the others will obviously play it in their mind that Roglic will not have been able to actually be with Pogacar at that point. So I think that's the benefit of Bernal on this stage. Next to that, he didn't follow the intense attacks, but he was able to slowly but surely pace back the way he usually climbs. And I would tend to think that this is going to benefit him more on the longer climbs, so on a Cordelos or on 
the other one, I'm not sure how long it is. Uh, Colombia, I think it's still 18 kilometers. So should definitely be one where this style of climbing will probably be better than going full force and accelerating every second. But then again, if Bogacha rides every climb like he does a Perisurde, then that's going to be very troublesome for him. That's the thing, you know, big effort from Pogaccia, but you got to remember everyone that it was a pretty leisurely stage up to there. He did actually, well, he had a hard stage yesterday, particularly he almost had a team time trial for 30 minutes or so, but they had an easy day before that. So it's really, how is he going to go tomorrow after a pretty hard day today? But yeah, there's not been a big GC shakeup. I'm sorry, guys, we haven't told you what the actual overall GC positions are. And after all that, after a record on the Col de Persud, not really much has changed. Still Yates first, keeping yellow. Still Roglic second. Still Guillaume Martin third. Roman Bardet moves up to fourth because he actually sprinted on the line. Uh, I don't really know why. He sprinted in the last 300 metres, I think, trying to gain some time. And he actually did. He moved up into fourth over Egan Bernal, who drops a place. Quintana sixth. Lopez seventh. Uran eighth. They're all on 13 seconds behind Yates, and Pagacha is back into ninth, 48 seconds behind Yates, 45 seconds behind Roglic, Enric Mas 10th. Emmanuel Buchmann, he had a hard day, but he's still riding pretty well, and top 10 is still probably going to happen for him, I think, if he keeps improving through the Tour. He's 11th with 1 minute 25 back. I think Yates will lose the jersey, but he's... A pretty savvy rider, and the thing is, because he's such an underdog, no one's looking to him to close. Like everyone looked to Bernal to close, and I think Bernal was a victim of being the Tour de France winner and on Ineos, you know, winning the Tour de France last year. When Roglic and Pagnacci went up the road, everyone looked at him. No, you know, no one was closing that down. But yeah, Guillaume Martin looks good, but nothing's really changed on GC. How does you like? Have you got a revised podium? you think Benji or um, is it all really the same as you thought before the tour like today Tadej Pogaccia, Roglic and, and Bernal well I actually didn't have uh, Roglic on there I had Roglic off the podium I had Buchmann in second so I'm definitely going to skip out on having him on the podium because he's not looking good and if I had to replace that podium then I would still go for Pogaccia and first but in regards to a second and third position I don't think Bardet is going to do too well on the time trial. Martin neither. Quintana will lose a bit of time. Bernal might do well, but I've had him on third, so maybe he can come second then. Uran is really consistent right now. I'm going to do it. Uran's going to podium the TDF. <laughs> Why not? You think? Yeah. He's consistent. Like He's never had like a real drop in the saddle where he lost 20 minutes on a day or anything. And he has a decent time trial, so yeah, why not? I think Uran was pretty close to the level of Roglic today, honestly. I'm not sure there was too much difference between them on the climbs. Like, Uran was closing gaps to Roglic pretty easily as well. But, yeah, Naira Quintana's fourth favourite. I don't really agree with that. Um, but it's a clear three-horse race now. It's Primoz Roglic, $1.90, so better than even money. So the the markets are saying Roglic is more than 50% likely to win the Tour. Tare Pogaccia's second favourite at $5.50, given a maybe... 18% chance of winning, 17% chance of winning, and Egan Bernal, third favourite, just behind Pogaccia at seven at uh, $7. So he's got a 15% chance of winning, I think. Or, yeah, don't quote my maths on there. Rough maths. But 
what an interesting stage. Some unfortunate camera work, but great to see a breakaway go up the road and Nance Peters win the stage. Um, interesting to see the GC action and testing each other out. I think the Yumbo Visma train, they'll have a little bit of back to the drawing board to go to to say, is that really the right thing we did, isolating Primoz like that? I mean, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, Pogaccio was going to do what he did and they would have to respond to it and their domestiques probably wouldn't have been strong enough to follow any. So it's all a moot point. But onto the stage tomorrow into Larun, Benji. Have you got the profile up? I'll let you run with this. I've spoken too much today. We start in Poor. We have a very small hill. That's a fourth cat climb just after the start. That could lead Cosnefroy into a small attacking spree because he takes everything he can handle. And we have an intermediate sprint, but it's not immediate because we have to go over two climbs before that. A first cat, Col de la Ursière, and the Col de Soudé. Col de Soudé. Col de Soudé is not necessarily a large climb. It's just a small addition to the Ursière. So they've got a small downhill on top of the Ursière. And then they go on to the Sudet, which is two kilometers of extra climbing. Four kilometers, actually, 3.8. Then they go downhill, intermediate sprint. So if Sagan's in the breakaway, he has to survive Houtsier and Sudet, which I think that he might actually be able to do if the peloton doesn't explode on Houtsier, which would be really early on in the stage, before halfway. And after the intermediate sprint, they have a smaller hill, a third cad, which is a 4K climb at 6.1%. So nothing major. And to finish it off with the climbing, think about 20 to 30 kilometers from the line, 25-ish. They've got the Col de Marie Blanc, which looks like a relatively small climb. It is a fast scat, though, and it is quite steep. I don't have the exact numbers here, or do I? I certainly do. And it is 8.7% average, 7.3%, and that includes 4 kilometers, or apparently over 10%. Well, actually, 9.3, 11.6, and 13.1. And then 9.8 towards the top. So, four kilometers of pretty much 10% or higher. So, that's going to be quite a steep Marie Blanc. After that, we do have the descend that basically goes the whole way and then still has about 10 kilometers of flatness after that. So, they're not done yet at the top of the Marie Blanc, but there is a B gate on top. So, potentially could lead to some action. But I believe a breakaway will take this stage. And I have my name for it. Pierre Hollande. <laughs> oh, wow. Pierre Hollande. I think Lutsenko. I'm going to pick Lutsenko again. He looked pretty good again today. He looked good again today. I hope, yeah, if he gets in the break, I think he's the strongest breakaway rider. Does he, has he lost enough time on GC? That'd be my only concern that they wouldn't let him go. Yeah, he's lost 28 minutes. Okay. Yeah, I'm picking Lutsenko again. And additionally, I think that it's somewhere where Thomas Hend will try. It's a bit of a dangerous day tomorrow because we don't want to talk about it too much, but COVID's still happening in France. And I think tomorrow the day after, they get all their COVID tests. Is it the rest day or the day before? You rest day. Okay, so after this stage, there is the rest day. And that means that there is a potential danger, according to Philip Gilbert, who posted on Twitter today, if there are too many positives on the COVID test, that they might stop the race at that point. So... Let's hope that's not the case. Let's keep it positive. But that might mean that some Bad people... Bad choice of words. Stuff. <laughs> what did I say? You said, let's keep it positive. <laughs> oh, boy. That's not what I meant. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, we saw, unfortunately, we saw with the fans on the side of the road today, a little bit concerning. People have called it out that 
yeah, it's it looked like a regular Tour de France stage, which is not ideal because there is still the pandemic, people with out masks and people going close to the riders and shouting at them, etc. So, yeah, hopefully that can get cleaned up. But I don't want to talk about that too much. I I, I have to say these these stage finishes with a category one and then a, a long descent, they just don't suit Bernal because if there was a bonus seconds and then a pure mountaintop finish, it'd be worth it to go there. But I'm not sure, you know, with that, the seven kilometres of false flat into the finish at the descent after Col de Marie Blanc, it's just so hard for a solo rider to go solo unless you're doing thermonuclear watts like Tare Pagacha. Um, and, you know, there's a price to be paid doing things like that. You can't do things like that day in, day out. So, yeah, I'm not sure what will happen tomorrow. I think breakaway as well. I think the GC teams will be – I don't think any of them are strong enough to come out tomorrow and be like, we're going to boss this race and really drive it on uh, the first Category 1 climb. I don't think Yumbo Visma are looking that good. They would be the team to do it, but I don't think they're able to do that right now. So I think they're going to be looking to protect Primoz a bit more tomorrow rather than be aggressors. But this pod's gone on long enough. No LRCP questions today because uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We really enjoyed the stage. Check in with the stage tomorrow and make sure you watch it live because I think there could be a GC loser on the day after such a hard climb today. And, yeah, if you want to give the podcast a review or a rating, it always helps out a lot. Any last words from you, Benji? Is the Tour de France providing you with the entertainment you need in the last couple of days after a few boring ones? The last two days, certainly, and I generally feel like we're going uh, to have a very interesting Tour de France regarding GC. But I have one last question before we actually end it. Pino is out of GC. We know that. We have Bade sitting in fourth. And he attacked at the end of the stage to try and get the yellow jersey off Adam Yates. Adam Yates responded. Do you believe that Bade could actually genuinely do something instead of France? No. Okay. Ciao.